want to start by saying how thankful I am to be here with you precious folks. I, uh, uh, I've always wondered what Brother Philip Harrelson's church was like. I've always wondered. Uh, there's not a lot of people in life that makes me nervous. I think partially it's caused my size. I've always got tickled when I preach someplace like this where you have such a prolific uh, man of God. I feel like a mule in the Kentucky Derby. I just don't feel like I fit. But I do appreciate today uh, the ready response. What this man invests in you is quickly seen. The ready engagement that you folks had through every aspect of this service, the prayer, the music, the singing, scripture reading, speaks well that a church will engage with those things. God bless you. I will go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number two and verse number one. Give honor to all the ministry, to our missionaries, to everybody that's here. I, I give you great honor today. I intended to walk into this service with a burden. Early this morning, about 5 o'clock, I'm driving to the airport through the back roads towards Houston, Texas. The Lord began to deal with me, and I said, God, that's not exactly what I thought I would do especially on the first time being at that church. God assured me that it was all in his plan. And then get here tonight and I had just determined in my heart the omniscience of God is amazing to me. He knows everything. There's nothing that he don't understand. He knew every soul that would be in this building God knew exactly what somebody in the house needed. So I've carried that burden all day long. Then just moments before I was ready to walk out the door, I received a phone call. And a staggering burden was put on my shoulders. And I had to try to minister to somebody who epitomizes what I've come to preach to you tonight. Word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter number two, verse number one says, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how? Shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Sometimes it's easy to miss the little messages when we see the spotlight on the big message. Today I'm going to try to take beautiful epistle and extract from it one of those little things that we seldom ever notice I've come today to preach about the heartache of assassinated potential the heartache of assassinated potential God bless you you may be seated the epistle is written by Paul to the Hebrew church. If you study the entirety of the book of Hebrews, it speaks of so many. The entire book of Hebrews appears, thank you dear by the way, the entire book of Hebrews seems to deal with one principle after another that God cherishes. For instance, the book of Hebrews includes words 
meant to bring revelation to God's people, going so far as to declare that Jesus by himself made the worlds and was the express image of God. It invests words designed to strengthen the church over every various element that everybody who lives for God is going to deal with. It infuses words of amazing insight to the importance of faith to our walk with God. It tells us about all of these principles and so many more. But Paul gave them to the church to solidify our salvation. Let me remind everybody in the building today, it's one thing to get salvation. It's another thing to keep salvation. So Paul, in an attempt to solidify our salvation, he begins to give us all of these principles and then in the midst of all of these principles that were designed to give our salvation solidification, Paul suddenly seems to pivot. And when he does, he makes a strange statement about a spiritual influence that true salvation will have on our lives. That's why he said, are not angels all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them which should be the heirs of salvation? Somebody shout salvation. Anybody in here an heir of salvation tonight? But you need to understand what Paul was saying was so much more than I'm going to write you a book and oh, by the way, there's angels too. It was so much more than that. When you understand what the book of Hebrews was designed for, to invest principle after principle after principle after principle that God loved, he opens this up and basically tells the people, don't you ever forget that salvation opens you up for the potential of the supernatural to work in your life. <clears throat> That's the reason Paul said, uh, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed uh, uh, to these things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Can I just kind of paraphrase it in Doug Whiteology today? <coughs> Paul was saying, once you solidify your true salvation, that salvation will put divine potential inside of you. Don't let the principle slip away or that supernatural potential is going to slip away with it. It was saying when salvation is in place, when you obey God's requested principles, it's going to give you supernatural assistance that you're going to need to reach your potential. However, you need to understand that that potential is only going to be there when you obey God's word. So you can't just let God's request and the principles that he loves slip through your hand. If it slips through your hand, you're going to lose it all. That's why just two verses later, that he tells us, after telling us that obedience opens us up to a supernatural potential, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It was Paul's way, help me preach a little bit here right now. It was Paul's way of saying there's no real excuse for not becoming what God wants you to become. Paul was saying God has destined everybody in the church to have potential that's greater than their bloodline, potential that's greater than their pedigree, potential that's greater 
than their past. Paul was saying, you've already found salvation. I've given you the right principles to strengthen your salvation. And now God's going to give you supernatural assistance to reach the potential that, hey, somebody, this is a great salvation. So let me sum it all up. Paul is saying it's a great salvation, but the quickest way to lose the potential that God is destined for every child of God to have is for you to neglect to faithfully walk in the potential principles of this great salvation that I've given you. Again, that's why he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? My brothers and sisters, hear me well. Obedience to God's principles opens you up to God-given potential. That's why the writer told them, be careful that you don't assassinate your God-given potential by letting those principles slip through your hands. I'm trying to think of a good way to say it to you today. So let me just say it this way. You need to live according to the principles of God. It's only when you live according to his principles you can be everything that God wants you to be. come to tell you why it's vitally important that the things that we hear and the things that we've been taught and the, the principles that God gives us, the, the, the reason that they're so important is because when God's principles slip through your hands, you're going to assassinate the potential that God put within you. Understand with me that just because you're not in vile sin does not mean that your God-given potential cannot be crushed. I would remind you, God didn't say, how shall we escape if we sin vile sins? God didn't say, how shall we escape if you slip around on your wife? God didn't say, how shall we escape if you snort in cocaine? That's not what God said. God said, all you've got is start neglecting the principles of God and you'll be incapable of becoming everything that God wants you to be. No, God said the thing that rips the righteous potential out of my people is when they live their lives neglecting the spiritual principles that I've tried to invest in them. God was telling us that all we need to do to assassinate the potential that God's put in your world is neglect to live the way God God wants you to live. Holiness still matters. Faithfulness still matters. Faith still matters. Righteousness still matters. Let, let, me, let me spin it another direction today and see if you can pick up what I'm trying to tell you. Allow me to be honestly honest enough today to openly ask questions that, that all of us have wondered about in our mind at times, but we don't really want to say it because if we say it, people are going to think we're less than spiritual. But all of us have pondered the question, if God really is no respecter of persons, then why are some people greatly used in the church and others sometimes even sitting in the same pew never amount to anything? If God is really no respecter of persons, then why are some seemingly blessed on every hand while the same man of God, others with the same man of God leading them seem to struggle so much? The answer is extremely simple. When you understand that God is never a respecter of persons, but God is always a a respecter of principles. And if you live by his principle, God will back you up. God will stand up for your cause. God, God gives every individual 
that walks in this great salvation, the, great, the same potential to become anything he's destined them to be. I don't care where you come from. I don't care if you're broke, busted, and disgusted. It doesn't bother me a bit. God can still make you everything you dream God could make you if you'll just live according. Every individual has that potential. The bottom line of why some people become dynamic in God's kingdom and others never seem to reach their God-given potential is because you alone have the choice of how to live your life. You alone have the choice of making the commitments that draw you closer to God. You and you alone have the choice to be consistent in your walk with God. You and you alone make the choice to neglect the principles that would unleash the potential of God in your life. It really is just that simple. Hear me now, we spend an amazing amount of time when we study the Word of God celebrating those who obey God, facilitating the miraculous things that all of us love to preach about. Man, we love it. Peter fishing all night and catching nothing. But at the request of God, he throws down the nets on the other side and catches so many fish, the ship almost sank with him. How about that little lad who at the request of Jesus gave his five loaves and two fishes and fed what they estimate to be around 12,000 people. What about the man with a withered hand who at the request of Jesus stretched forth that crippled appendage only to see it instantaneously healed? What about that blind man who at the request of Jesus had mud smeared in his eyes and told to go wash in the pool of Siloam only to have his sight miraculously restored? On and on the list could go, but all of them had one thing in common. All of them, at the request of Jesus, was willing to alter their lives to be used of God. All of them, at the request of Jesus, were willing to lay down their personal preferences for God's principles. All of them, at the request of Jesus, were willing to change their plans if that's what it took to be in the will of God. They had a choice, and they chose to commit themselves to God's plan. But remember, it was their choice. It was their choice. Nobody forced them to do that. Nobody. How different would the stories in our Bible be today if they decided they didn't want to alter their lives for the plan of God? How differently would we have to preach those stories today if they decided they didn't want to sacrifice their personal preferences for God's purpose? How different would we have to preach these stories if they determined they weren't going to change their plans to fit into God's plans? God did magnificent things in them, brothers and sisters. But what if they had refused to reach for their God-intended potential? What would be said of them today if Peter had responded to God's request to let down the nets on the other side by saying, I kind of like the way things are going. I kind of like doing things the way that I've always done them. What if that little lad with five loaves and two fishes had said, what's mine is mine. I don't feel remotely responsible for the kingdom of God. What if the man with a withered hand would have told Jesus, I don't appreciate you getting the pulpit and drawing attention to those things that are weak in my world. What if the blind man with mud on his face had told Jesus, I think you're just trying to embarrass me into somehow responding and I don't appreciate it. And yet we push in the apostolic church through sermon after sermon trying to gently nudge people towards their God-given potential only to hear things like, I've always done it this way. That's the way I'm always going to do it. I don't feel any responsibility. I I don't appreciate you drawing attention to my weakness. Hey, can't you see that God's trying to nudge you? God's trying to help you become everything that he intends for your world to be. 
God does it through sermons. He does it through songs. He does it. I, I, I was amazed when they started singing tonight on Calvary's Hill of Sorrow where sin's demands were made. Uh, it was just a few weeks ago. I knelt down at the same chair that G.T. Haywood was at when God gave him that song. Uh, I, there, there, there are things that change your world. There are things that change it. But you need to understand you've got the potential to be anything that God wants you to be. But it is contingent. It is contingent. It is contingent on your willingness to walk in the principles of God. Don't you know that by neglecting the principles of this great salvation, you are effectively assassinating any potential God's put in you? Scripture tells us one of the most heartbreaking stories. In the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Kings, while the Bible leaves the prophet unnamed, the Talmud identifies the prophet as a man named Edo. Edo was uh, in a story it's seldom referred to by teachers or saints and even preachers but it unveils one of the most important lessons any child of God can ever learn to look at Edo's life you have to see the God giving amazing potential this man had uh, he had a godly bloodline his lineage was filled with prophets and men of God he had the of kings. He was valued by the various royalties that he served under. He had effective skills. It was Edo who chronicled the lives of such luminaries as King Solomon and King Rehoboam and King Abijah. He authored three books among what theologians call the lost books of the Bible. Edo had the respect of the nation. He was brave enough to stand up and fearlessly declare God's word. Edo had the fear of God's enemies. Many times that vile king, Jeroboam, knew what it was like to have Edo stand and prophesy against him. He had the approval of God. God seemingly trusted Edo to do spiritual exploits that others would have refused to do. Yet in the book of 1 Kings, we see God make some unique requests of Edo saying, I'm going to send you to prophesy against the false altar of King Jeroboam. Until your task is over, Edo, you are not to eat and you're not to drink anything. And when you're done prophesying against the, the false altar of King Jeroboam, I want you to turn around and come back to your house. Don't eat anything until you come back to your house. And by the way, Edo, when you come back, don't go on the same road that you went there on. You turn around and go home another way. Edo started his journey doing exactly what God told him to do. At the request of God, Edo neither, neither eat nor drank one solitary thing at the request of God. Edo prophesied against the altar of Jeroboam and it made that evil king so mad that he stretched his hands out to take hold of the prophet Edo and when he did, God dried up Jeroboam's hand and according to the word of God immediately that fake altar split in half and the ashes fell out on the ground according to Edo's prophecy. Oh, the godly potential that Edo had when he followed the requests of God. But watch what happens next. Just as God requested, Edo turned to go home another way. But at some juncture of his journey, I don't know if it was one mile, five miles, ten miles, the Bible said there was a false prophet that comes running up and stopped Edo and began to lie to him. He lied to Edo and said, an angel stood by me this night and told me that I had to come bring you back to my house. You know where my house is. It's on the same road that you just walked by to get to King Jeroboam's place. And I, you need to come back because 
because the angel said, you're supposed to come to my house to eat and drink. And unfortunately, Edo turns around and went to the false prophet's home on the very road that God commanded him not to go back to. And he began to eat and drink, which God had commanded him not to do until he came back to his own house. Sadly, Scripture tells us that after neglecting all of God's request, the prophet Edo decides it's time to head home and he gets out on the road, the same road God told him not to be on, my brother. And the Bible said that as he's making his way, he encounters a lion. And that lion jumps on him, tears him from the mule that he's riding, and it decimates him. It devours him. It ravages that man until his mutilated body, later assassinated and lifeless in the dark, Oh, the tragedy. Oh, the waste of God's dynamic direction. Oh, the discarded destiny of a good man. Brothers and sisters, there's a lesson that everybody in this building needs to learn when it pertains to that story. Our first inclination after hearing that story is that we need to put the blame on that false prophet for lying to Edo. We need to place the blame. All of us are prone to look at the unfortunate situation and feel justified placing the blame of Edo on the false prophet Even so, the vital lesson we need to learn is that, yes, the false prophet told the lie, but Edo made the choice to ignore God's request. The false prophet ordered, offered deception, but Edo made a choice to ignore God's request. The false prophet fabricated the prophecy, but Edo made the choice to ignore the principles of God, the request that had been made of him, Edo possessed undeniable destiny. Edo possessed irrefutable anointing. Edo possessed divine purpose. Edo was a recipient of amazing potential, but in spite of all of Edo's potential, his world was left to mourn the heartache of an assassinated potential. Let's talk about potential now, shall we? I have preached 5,800 times. I have traveled all over the world. Last year alone, I preached 306 times. I need somebody in here to hear me. Few people really know the real Doug White. You know the Doug White you've seen stand in pulpits through the years. You don't know firsthand the chaos that was my life. You don't know the evil that I lived with. You don't know the disorder that reigned in my world. You don't know the tragedies that befell me. Brothers, hear me well. Sisters, listen closely. To say that I was void of potential would be an understatement. Instead of potential, I should have had a prison cell. Instead of potential, I should have had an early grave. Instead of potential, I should have had a mental breakdown. I had nothing. Nothing that resembled potential. Oh, but when this great salvation came into my world, God destined my life for something that was greater than my past. When I found this great salvation, God said, it's your obedience to my word, the supernatural influence that it brings. God finally put real godly potential in my world. But let me tell you why I touched the potential God intended for my life. For a kid that was homeless at 15, sleeping behind dumpsters, I want to tell you why God's helped me reach for the potential that he's put in my world. He did it because throughout my entire walk with God, I've lived my life in such a way, Brother Harrelson, there was not a request that God made of me that I wasn't willing to drop everything and do exactly what God said. My brother, there's never been a foreign field. I love my church. I've pastored there for 34 years. 
but God could speak to me today and I'd pull up stakes and I'd go anywhere that God wanted me to go. You want to know why God's blessed me? Because I've made it my life's goal that I'm going to live in such a way that is supernatural potential can usher me. But there were others. See, I've crossed paths with others who had a better bloodline than I did. Others that had a better background than I did. Others that had a better upbringing than I did. Their mother wasn't killed. They didn't have the same things happening that I had happening in my world. Their daddy wasn't married five times. They didn't have an alcohol uh, problem when they were 11 years old, sneaking a pint of vodka into school every day when I was 11 years old. They didn't have all of that. They had a better hope than I did. They had more, but yes, there were others that had more potential on their worst day that I ever had on my very best day but standing here tonight in the presence of God in this beautiful church I know what it's like to see people with a better background than mine, a better upbringing than mine, more potential than I had fail miserably to be what God wanted them to be come on now if we're all honest, we've all seen the heartache of assassinated potential. There's certain names that come up in every church that if that name comes up, something in their heart just sinks because they could have been anything. They could have done anything. How did they fail to become everything God wanted them to be? They had by far more potential than I'll ever possess in my life. Is God a respecter of persons? No, but God is a respecter of lives that will honor his request. God is a respecter of people that will live according to the principles that he loves. We sit here today most every one of you claiming you want to be what God wants you to be but we all know others who exemplify the heartache of assassinated potential <clears throat> he had more potential than I'll ever have in my life my peer was a preacher with a brilliant mind that could have accomplished anything if you'd known where he'd come from I always envied him if you'd known where he'd come from because he had the pedigree, he had the bloodline, he had the right education to open up doors for his ministry. He had all these things with his potential. He seemingly had no choice to, to, but to be successful in the kingdom of God. However, when it appeared, he'd be unstoppable. We discovered that he had the right pedigree, but he didn't have the right obedience. He had the right bloodline, but he didn't have the right attitude towards our man of God. He had the right education, but he didn't have the right commitments. He had the right potential, but he didn't have the right loyalty for our bishop. Potential unsurpassed. But this man neglected the very principles that God called him to live by. And as a result, his life has been devastated. Today, if you were to go to his church, you would be the only person sitting in his church. He claims to be a pastor of a church that's void of any people, but he's going to get up and preach every service to himself and then feel like he's done something spectacular. His spouse finally had to walk away to escape his vile temper. His own children refused to speak to him. He has not one friend that can trust his lack of loyalty. Wait, wait. People would have given anything to have the potential this individual had instead he amounted to nothing no it wasn't his peers fault no it wasn't his pastor's fault hear me today sir ma'am it wasn't the church's fault it wasn't his family's fault you need to understand whose fault it was. 
you need to understand it was his fault because he's the one that decided he was going to try to be something without the benefit of God's potential in his life. I wish somebody in here would lift your hands up right now and begin to pray. Come on, pray with me right now. Pray. Pray. God is no respecter of persons, but God is always a respecter of people that will live according to the principles of the Almighty. I don't know who you are in this building tonight, but God knows who you are. And God sees you playing with the potential that he's given you. God meant for you to be something beyond where you are today. God intended for you to be used in the kingdom. Some God intended. But you forfeit that supernatural potential when you refuse to walk in his godly principles. Abner. Abner. Died Abner as a fool. You were a first cousin to King Saul. You were the general of all of his armies. You defeated dangerous enemies. You made mistakes, but you made it to the city of refuge. You found salvation in your dispensation. You were potential personified. But Abner, you died as a fool. You knew the request of God to stay in the city of refuge. You knew the request of God to stay there until the death of the high priest. Instead, Abner, you carelessly stepped far enough away from your commitments that Joab's knife found its mark. And now, Abner, your incredible potential lies assassinated in the dirt. No! Don't blame Joab. You were the one that said, I don't think I ought to have to live in the middle of the church. You were the one that said, I don't think that it matters if I live on the fringe a little bit. You made the choice to disregard God's request, and now the world, Abner, knows the heartache of assassinated potential. You died as a fool because you assassinated your own potential. You see them from time to time too, sometimes backslidden on the street. Sometimes you see them living like the world. Sometimes they'll even step into the church and you'll see them. But every time you see their lives, come on now, you might as well be honest with me today. This church ain't a brand new church. This church done been here a while. You've got people that you can see on the street or see stagger into your sanctuary. And when you look at them, something in your heart begins to break because you know what they could have been. You know what they could have accomplished. You know the potential that they've assassinated. They could have become anything. They had the potential to excel. They could have made a difference. But if we're going to talk about the heartache of assassinated potential, you don't have to look to the backslider. All you got to do is look at our pew sometimes. Every pastor, Brother Harrelson, every pastor that loves people, they know what it's like to deal from time to time with the heartache of assassinated potential. My son pastors the church with me. I'm what they call bishop. That's Latin for I'm the old dude now. My son and I, we sit and talk about everything coming and going, everything happening. A few days ago, our church has almost doubled in the last two years. We've broken every record we ever had. COVID blessed us. We grew 8% during the quarantine. 
Every day I was slipping off to the church to baptize somebody else. We were teaching Bible studies online. We were teaching discipleship classes online. We were praying through the hookers. We were praying through the strippers. We were praying through the junkies. We were praying through the distributors. We were praying through the greatest meth cooker. They said in the area, I don't have personal experience at that, but, but they said he was the best meth cooker. We were praying people through left and right. We've almost done, but because of that, the needs of leadership has also grown. Me and my son sat down and we began to look. We need somebody to fill this ministry. It's got to be the right person. It's got to be the right person. Sister Harrelson, it's got to be. We, we need somebody that's considerate. We need, we need somebody that's got compassion, somebody that's diligent, somebody that's loyalty, somebody with spiritual stability. And while we were sitting there talking, I don't know what was said, what was done, and all of a sudden, I seen my son's eyes light up. He said, hey, Dad. And then I seen the heartache of assassinated potential hit him. He started to call out a woman's name. He said she'd be perfect. He said, Dad, she'd be perfect if she was remotely consistent. She'd be well able if she only had a little bit of character. Are you listening to me today? She had all the potential in the world. God could have used her in a ministry of her own. God could have done something. She was potential personified. Her life oozed potential. In fact, her only downfall were those pesky principles that God liked. She had a good husband but struggled with God's request to shun bitterness. She had talents galore, but she struggled with God's request to avoid vanity. She had a brilliant mind, but she struggled with God's request uh, to, to not compete with everything and everybody. Are you listening to me now? I'm trying to preach to you that in that moment, I looked at my son and I saw the light go out in his eyes. And I always hoped that he'd never have to deal with the things like that that I dealt with. But I saw the light go out in his eye. And it dawned on me, my brother. He had seen this woman fool around long enough that he realized the people are never going to trust her now. Nobody's ever going to have confidence in her now. Nobody's ever going to let her lead them now. Somebody hear me. Somebody listen to this preacher today. Because of her struggle, with God's request, all the potential she once possessed was assassinated. Hey, it wasn't that spouse's fault. He's one of the best saints I got. It wasn't the saint's fault around her. Everybody loves her in spite of her. It wasn't the man of God's fault. We've done everything we could to help her. There's nobody to blame but herself. She chose to assassinate her own, I, I, I'm telling you, this is the strangest thing to walk in on my first service and to preach like this to people. But somebody needs to listen to this preacher today. God has desired to use you for so long, but he cannot get you to commit yourself. He can, hey, you better listen to me. That preacher can teach you. He can preach to you. That man can seek the mind of God. But the one thing that even your pastor can't do he cannot make you committed. He cannot make you sold out. She wasn't mistreated by God. No. She wasn't cheated by the Almighty. She wasn't shortchanged by deity. She, God is never a respecter of person. But God's always a respecter of people that honor his principles. Had an individual call me a few days ago. I, I, I'm not even going to deal with any of the things I had to deal with before church tonight. Called me up and said, you don't understand, brother, what? I'm a preacher. Nope. Brother, what? I'm anointed. No. Brother, what? All I need is your approval, and I'll start going places, and I'll go out and preach, and I'll go and no. He said, Brother White, I feel like you're holding my ministry back. 
I said, buddy, I need you to listen to me. I'm not holding your ministry back at all. You did that. You're the one that couldn't get along with your wife. You're the one that created chaos. You're the one that's turned against man of God after man of God. You're the one that wouldn't be faithful. You're the one that moved halfway across the country and say you were going to seek God and you'd be out drinking. You can't blame it on me. You did all the heartache. Of assassinated potential. The sad part was he was anointed one time. He did feel a call to preach at one time. I, I, I don't know whose field I'm plowing in right now, but I can tell you the blade is deep in the soil and you know exactly who I'm preaching to. I want you to lift your hands up and touch God right now. Let me tell you one of the saddest things I've ever dealt with in my entire ministry. I used to preach revival. Ironically, you and I preached together not very far, Brother Harrelson, from that place. We used to preach meetings there often. And there was one young man telling, matter of fact, this young man here on second row on the end, you kind of look like him. He, he uh, good dude. Anybody going to shout, he's going to be first one out shouting. He's going to be the one running the aisles. He's going to be the one screaming, preaching with me when I preach. Good guy. Pastor kept telling me, he said, Brother what? He said, I see potential in him. Man, I see potential in him. He said, I, I, I think God wants to use him. I said, well, he seems to be a good kid. Good young man. He said, he's got a few issues. He said, but I think, I think maybe God can use him. He told me that a couple years in a row, and right after I left the next time, he called the young man in and said, I want you to be my youth pastor. I want you to lead my youth. I want you to do all these things. I, I, I want you to facilitate, get them to rallies, and I want you to, I want you to take my young people to a level that, that, that I just don't, feel like I can do by myself. I want you to, he did all of that and, and because of that boy's potential, his pastor asked him to serve but it wasn't long after the pastor put him in that position that this potential laden youth pastor began to struggle with things. He had amazing skills but he struggled with God's request to shun worldliness. This, this little position went to his mind he had the ability to connect with youth on an unprecedented level, but he struggled with a desire to be their peer instead of their leader, Brother Harrelson. He had an amazing popularity even in the community, but he struggled to avoid sinful environments. He wanted to fit in with everybody. So much so that one night despite every ounce of potential that this youth pastor had. He went to a party that was anywhere but a righteous environment. And when he got there in the midst of the party, somebody, nobody to this day knows who it was. Somebody slipped something into his drink. He was there, and when he drank whatever this was, this kid raised in a church, it, it, it smashed his mind. It burned this man up. Such a promising young man. Such a, a, a good-looking, strong young man. It messed his mind up. And when I got back there to preach the next year, the pastor said, Brother White, I'd like for you to go with me. I'd like to go pray for him. And we went to the hospital. And I noticed when we went in the hospital, we didn't go to the first floor, second floor, third floor. No, no, no. When we got to the hospital, we got an elevator and went down to the basement. Because in the basement of that hospital was an asylum where they put people who could not care for themselves. When I walked in there with that man to pray for him, 
What I saw in that bed broke my heart. Potential was now a grown man wearing a dirty diaper in an asylum because he lost all his human faculties. Potential was now slobbering mush out the side of his face as some big, rude, burly orderly was taking mashed up food on a metal knife and jamming it between his teeth. Potential was now a vegetable with no clue who I was, who his pastor was, or even who he had been. Salvation gives us all potential. He was not excluded. He was not overlooked. God is never a respecter of persons. He just assassinated his own potential by refusing to live in the confines of godly principles. I wonder today, you, you can't look around, Brother Harrelson, because it'd be a giveaway. We'd, we'd, we wouldn't want that. But I wonder if I walk these aisles today how many of you sitting here, God's already dealt with you. You know God's already put his hand on your life. You feel the strength of God that was willing to do things in your world. You just struggle to live in the parameters of godly principles. Maybe there'll be one less missionary because somebody won't be committed. Maybe there'll be one less preacher in this church because you refuse to live in the principles. Ma'am, maybe there'll be one less soul winner that adorns these pews and fills this sanctuary up because you refuse to live in the confines of godly principles. Wonder where you see that person at. You see them in the mall. You see them in the drugstore. You see them in the pantry on the corner. Or maybe you just see them every morning when you get up and wash your face and realize, I'm never going to be what God needs me to be if I don't go back to the parameters of godly principles. Stand to your feet with me right now. I won't apologize tonight for preaching with the passion or even the direction that I'm preaching with tonight. I won't do that. But I'll tell you what a service like this does to Brother White. It tells me that somebody in here is supposed to be something you're not. And because you're not, God has a way of taking his hand away at some point, saying, okay, I'll let you do it your way. I hope you don't end up in a dirty diaper. I hope you don't end up in a broken home. I hope you don't end up in an affair. But when you refuse to live in the godly principles that he gave us, understand you forfeit the potential to be what God wants you to be. Is there anybody in this building right now that'll step out of your seat and say, Brother White, I think I'm just going to go to the altar for a little while tonight. I want to make sure that I'm still living in the parameters of godly principles. Brother White, I'm going to go work on my faithfulness just a little bit tonight. Brother White, I, I, I got to make sure I don't have bitterness. It's going to create havoc. That's it, church. Pray with us. Your altar's nearly full right now. Come on now. You know God's talking to you. You know God was speaking to you. Lord, take my hand. 